Hey, and welcome to the fourth episode of the Struggling Stoic Podcast. I'm Pear, your host, and with me today, I have one of the most impressive people I know, Quincy Larson. He's the creator of the non-profit organization Free Code Camp, which teaches people how to code for free and without any ads. And since I also run a company that teaches people how to code, I've known Quincy and collaborated him for the last three years, and I've followed the hyper-growth that Free Code Camp has had. And what's so amazing with Quincy is this built Free Code Camp to become extremely successful, literally changing thousands of lives every year, while making a very modest amount of money from it himself. So it's a very unselfish, and I'd also say a very stoic approach to building an organization like that. He's done this with, uh, at the same time as he has uh, been raising a child, uh, building his own family, and done a lot of leveling up on personal areas, like uh, training and alcohol consumption and other things. So um, I've been just been fascinated with uh, Quincy for a while, and when I saw him quote the Stoic philosopher Epictetus in an article recently, um, I wanted to, I, or I, I, I knew I wanted to get him here on the podcast to talk with him regarding whether or not he uses Stoic philosophy in his daily life. And it turns out Quincy does use a lot of Stoic, Stoic practices, but he doesn't actually spend a lot of time thinking about the philosophy, though he has a lot of interesting routines and practices going on. So in this interview, I plan on digging into the practices and routines uh, that Quincy has and that helps him to perform on a high level. So <laughs> with that long intro, uh, Quincy, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Per. So um, let's start uh, with your relationship with the Stoicism. Um, it's not something you have a very uh, um, like um, conscious relationship to that you or something you, you don't care that much about the philosophy as uh, itself, but more, uh, you you do a lot of practices that are like naturally stoic. Is that correct? My my assumption there. Yeah, I use a lot of stoic tools, um, and I've been using them ever since college. Ever since I first got exposed to stoicism. Now, I don't spend a lot of time reading, uh, you know, the teachings of Seneca or Marcus Aurelius. I don't spend a lot of time um, talking with people about philosophy. Most of what I focus on day in and day out is much more practical, but those visual, you know, negative visualizations and, and the view from above and uh, subjecting yourself to voluntary discomfort. A lot of these tools that the Stoics use uh, to become more grateful for what they have and to rein in their egos and things like that. I, I use those every day and I've incorporated a lot of that into my day-to-day waking life so that I can lead a life that I that is effective and that I feel comfortable with at the end of the day. Nice. So do you want to um, like um, give us some examples of, of routines like that that you do on a daily or weekly basis? Yeah. Well, uh, there are things that are kind of persistent things that I abstain from, for example. Uh, okay. Like, for example... My first daughter was my, my daughter. I have, a, I have two kids. I've got a daughter and a son. Uh, when my daughter was born about four and a half years ago, I basically decided, and I've gone for periods of my life without drinking alcohol, but I just basically decided I'm done drinking. I'm not going to drink anymore. And uh, so I haven't had a drink of alcohol in four and a half years. I haven't oh. taken any other mind-altering drugs in even longer than that. And uh, like I think the most, I had like an operation and uh, they gave me like, 
some Xanax or something during the operation. And then that was it. That's all I've had to alter my consciousness. Um, and I'm I'm proud of the fact that I'm, I'm kind of present and I'm not doing anything to, uh, disconnect from reality. I'm, I'm here in the moment, like living and, uh, processing as well as I can, given how many hours of sleep I've gotten and things like that. Uh, Another thing that that I, is there oh, just I wanted to, to dig into a little bit of that. Is that something you fe- feel that the, the abstaining from alcohol has helped you with being more present or performing better or it, just what effects it's had on you? Yeah, well, I mean, it's a good healthy, it's a good lifestyle decision. Alcohol causes cancer. Uh, it also causes, you know, heart disease and, you know, a lot of other uh, things. It's, humans aren't designed to drink alcohol. Humans have drank alcohol since, uh, since, the Egyptians first figured out beer and, you know, the Romans first crushed grapes and things like that. But it's, it's not something that we have to do. And so I always felt that there was a lot of social pressure to drink alcohol and um, that it had become this part of pretty much or most, you know, Western civilizations for sure. And, and a lot of Eastern civilizations too, although notably uh, a lot of Muslims abstain from alcohol. Um, but I've always seen it as kind of this, it's a drug. <laughs> it's yeah. just, it's, it's not, it's even more dangerous than a lot of recreational drugs like marijuana and things like that. You don't have to use drugs. Uh, humans can have tons of fun without altering their consciousness. And so that, that's like totally. a lot of people may be like, Oh, Quincy is a party pooper, you know? <laughs> but for me, I don't judge people uh, if they want to unwind with a glass of wine or if they want to, you know, uh, drop acid or smoke weed or something <laughs> like that, that's, that's fine. That's their personal prerogative. But for me, I found that I'm much happier not having that in my life. And there are other things that, uh, like, uh, for example, I completely quit drinking coffee because I found that like getting too much caffeine put me into kind of an altered state as well, mm. uh, where maybe I was too, frenetic or too euphoric and and it, i just didn't like who i was becoming when i had you know half a pot of coffee in the morning so i still drink tea and i still drink diet soda from time to time but it's it's like a more moderate amount of caffeine so that's the one psychoactive substance that i haven't completely cut out of my life is caffeine <laughs> but yeah so that's cool uh, and and do you have any like um things that you are not like cutting out stuff but things that you have introduced like any routines you do on a weekly or daily or monthly or whatever basis well i do a lot of exercise and i've always like ever since college when i realized like man i'm not in good shape and if a a bear were to like appear i probably wouldn't be able to outrun it maybe (laughs) i probably couldn't outrun it even even though i do run a lot Uh, but i do a lot of physical exercise uh, I run a lot. I, I, I go for long walks, uh, like kind of mall walking, where it's like high speed kind of just, yeah, it, you can think pretty well. You don't sweat too much. So I find that that's a really good way to uh, to just, instead of sitting still and meditating, which I know a lot of people really like doing, I like to just think while I exercise. Mm. And that's kind of my form of meditation. It's just thinking really hard while my body is physically active and my heart rate's high. Cool. And, and you also had um, an experiment which you wrote about where, where you we stopped cursing. Yeah. And, and uh, I've, I'm still still doing it like four or five, six years later. Uh, nice. And so that, that grew it, your willpower, uh, uh, you, you told. You. So I'd love to hear more about that. 
Yeah, like physically injuring yourself. Like uh, I'm trying to think of some different things that have happened to me. Like I was running and I stepped off a curb and heard like a snap and I was like, ah. It wasn't a permanent like serious like go in, but I couldn't run for like six or eight weeks. But when that happened, I, there was that that involuntary reaction like you want to curse, but I didn't. Hmm. Um, or you know when when my kids drop heavy things on on my on my feet or yeah. injure me in some other way, like just being able to not curse, which it's it's a totally normal natural thing to do. It's a normal acceptable response if somebody injures you to curse. But I find that like not even cursing in those circumstances has further strengthened my willpower. Hmm. So was that a motivation when you started with it? Because you, you felt that this is something that would, would increase my willpower if I abstain from it? Well, it's something that I think that people sound less sophisticated when they curse generally. Like mm. you don't hear, uh, I mean, people use mild profanity, like stuff that's in the Bible. Like yeah. I'll say the word damn. Yeah. <laughs> right. I'll say the word ass. Those words are in the Bible. Yeah. That's okay. But uh, generally, like I find that when you use those, it it does sort of reduce your credibility with a certain crowd. Uh, and I don't really, I don't need to do it if I can figure out ways to express myself that don't involve uh, using curse words that might harm my credibility or where people mm. might be able to like language, like my kids are around. I just don't, I don't want to have to think about that. I don't want to have to put up a filter when I'm in front of people. So if I always have that filter there, then it's, it becomes uh, reflexive and uh, it doesn't require any additional cognitive load. Mm. And and then it it's kind of spilled over in other parts of your life where you needed willpower as well. Is that how it worked? Yeah, I think so. I mean, willpower is a muscle and the more you can exercise it, the better. And the more you can force yourself to be uncomfortable and push yourself beyond your comfort zone, the better. So an example of one thing that I do to uh, increase my willpower and not just my willpower, but also my appreciation of things because so much of stoicism is rooted in gra uh, being grateful, gratitude. And so much of modern life, uh, it's easy to lose sight of gratitude, but so much happiness comes from gratitude, being grateful for what you have. Uh, so I will, I'll often go for long walks out in the cold without sufficient coat. And people are like, oh, you're going to catch nice. a cold. But actually being cold doesn't necessarily catch a cold exposure. Viruses catch it, yeah. causes you to catch a cold. So little things like that. Uh, going in extremely hot, hot tubs, uh, mm. which I know you're out in Scandinavia. Maybe, <laughs> maybe you do this. <laughs> do you ever do that? Yeah. Um, like, I do. I do a lot more. More of like the, the cold uh, plunges where I uh, where yeah. ice bath. That's the, yeah. yeah. So those kinds of things where you're subjecting yourself to extreme cold or extreme heat, I find that that is really invigorating and and it takes a lot of willpower to get into an extremely cold pool. And I did this when I was in Korea. They would have the spas. It, it's probably not anywhere near as cold as it is up in, in Norway. But but you go in the water that's only like maybe one or two degrees Celsius. And then you go into the water that's like 40, 45 degrees yeah. Celsius. And you jump back and forth between the two. And it just builds your willpower because you don't want to do it. Yeah. But uh, it, it's a form of strength that's not just your body, but almost kind of like you're, you're forging an iron soul. Totally. And this is interesting because... Um, it, Kevin Patrick, who I had on the interview, is a Stoic blogger, um, like a couple of uh, episodes uh, ago. He talked about this, of, of using smaller things to build momentum towards larger things. So when you have to maybe 
really dig into your real power to do something that is uh, extremely hard. Just having trained it, as you said, as a muscle, uh, helps you to to be more prepared later in life for for other difficult situations where you need that willpower. So, and I've totally experienced that myself. Uh, I, I feel so great after having done that or cold plunge after yeah. the workout. And then the the other big thing is when I when I exercise, I do everything to failure. Like I will do mm. pull ups until I'm like can't even grip the bar anymore and I slide really? off basically. Yeah, and that. That's pretty, I mean, you could probably talk to like a sports science type person or a kinesthesiologist <laughs> or something, and they may have something to say about that. But I found that it works really well uh, because it forces me to every single time, like leave nothing on the proverbial mat, right? Mm, yeah. <laughs> um, so I'll just do tons of pull-ups. I'll do tons of push-ups until my chest, until like I feel incredibly weak. In that experience of feeling weak, uh, mm toward the end and having even the simple thing like i can't even push my body up it's it's it builds my humility and it reminds me of what it's mm. like to be powerless and i find that uh if you are reminded periodically of powerlessness then you know you you are much more humble and much more responsible in how you use your power when you do have your normal power so I'm interested in exactly that, like pushing yourself to, to that limit. I, I, I don't do that when I work out because I, I struggle a bit with it. I, I, yeah, I just can't get myself to do it. So is that something you've always done or have you trained yourself or used some strategies to, to get there? Or is it just more of a natural, your way of training? I, I just arrived at that. Uh, I've been doing a lot of like exercise since college and trying to be really consistent about it. And at some point somebody asked like, well, why don't you just keep doing pull-ups? Why do you count to 12 and then stop doing pull-ups? You can do more pull-ups than that. And I started to think, you know, that's right. Like, why do I stop? Hmm. What benefit is there? Because the more desperate you get toward the end, the additional muscles you use. I mean, there could be a point where if you could potentially injure yourself, if you just kept trying to go, uh, but for the most part, like I just do it to failure. Um, mm. I, I just adopted it. it. It seems more time efficient, first of all. Yeah. You can only get in like two or three sets of pull-ups if you're going to failure on each set. Um, <laughs> so you <laughs> spend cool. less, fewer sets, <laughs> more time spent working <laughs> after your exercise, right? Yeah. So um, now that we're into kind of uh, being more productive in, in workouts, I also want to talk about like, productivity uh, as a general topic with you because I feel that you are very very productive in terms of what you do like you write tons of articles you run in free code camp in so many different ways you have to keep an overview over it you have your family you do your workouts and so um yeah uh, did you have you always this been very productive or is it, has that changed over time so I've always had bouts where I just feel low energy like oh I just I think I'm going to just take a, a day off or something like that. Like, but ever since I started free code camp, I've just been much better about that. Um, mm. And a lot of it comes down to, to even if I feel low energy, just working a little bit every single day. So I'll, I'll work maybe two hours a day uh, if I'm feeling low energy uh, as a kind of recuperation, but it's, it's kind of like a go as slowly as you must, but do not completely stop type thing. Uh, and so I, I think, pretty much every day for the past five and a half, it's not quite five and a half years, Every for the past 
five years and three months <laughs> since free cooking has started, I've worked at least an hour or two. Even when my babies were born, uh, yeah. I'd still you know, have my laptop and, and be doing a little bit of work while they were sleeping and things like that. And I find that keeping that momentum is helpful. Mm. But I wouldn't consider myself extremely productive, but I would say that um, I am focused on sustainability. Okay. You won't find me generally, unless there's like an emergency or something, you won't find me working more than like 12 hours a day. Uh, more likely, I'll be working like six, six-ish hours, seven hours a day, seven days a week. Yeah, okay. Which, if you think about but it, that's that is, still generally less than 50 hours a week. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it, it's still... It, it's also like... Um, I mean, a lot of people, I think, in reality work uh, four hours a day, five, five, five days a week. At least here in Norway, they have or like productive hours. So, yeah. um, so I still think it's more than than most people. Um, at least uh, in Europe, where I think I get sense sense that we in Europe work a bit less than you do in the U.S. Where like the the the, the willingness to work is, is higher in the U.S. Is my impression after having what after what I've seen and, and read. But um, but um, that's one thing, like the amount of hours you put in. But then there's also the what you get from those hours. Do you have any uh, techniques in order to be as efficient as possible when you work? Yeah. Uh, I mean, in terms of productivity, I basically I delegate everything to my calendar and then my calendar delegates everything to me. Mm. So whenever something occurs like, oh, this needs to get done, I throw it on my calendar. And then when my calendar pops up the notification, hey, in 10 minutes, you're supposed to start working on this. I have to do what my calendar says. So I'm using mm. my calendar as a, a way of forcing future accountability. That's interesting. And so when you have yeah. like, oh, I need to work on uh, reviewing an article, it's just like immediately when you know that, okay, I'll put that. I have a free spot tomorrow between 12 and uh, 2, and I'll, I'll put it in there. And it has to get done in that time? Or, or yeah. what if yeah, it spills it over? To, it, I mean, if it doesn't get spill over, then I just set another time to finish it. Or if mm. I just don't have – like something else has come up, then – I just move the entire, it's pretty easy. Like in Google Calendar, you just click it and you drag it to a different place. And and I have to admit, like that forces me to confront the fact that I didn't do this thing and mm. and to uh, acknowledge that I was supposed to do it and that I didn't do it. And uh, those, those little shocks throughout the day, like, oh, I could have done better here, uh, give me opportunities to introspect. And one thing, I think the biggest risk is getting too confident in yourself and, and uh, feeling like, you can do everything and, and that leads you to making uh, commitments that you can't properly honor. Uh, mm. So for me, the biggest, I mean, there's no shortage of things that could be done. It's just a question what I want to prioritize and how much I can realistically do. So every time I get some sort of negative feedback like that, like, Hey, you said you were going to do this and you were too busy doing this to do this. Then that keeps my ego in check. <laughs> nice. Um, and, Yes. Yeah, so, so you don't have an? Uh, do you have an external to do list besides this calendar, or is is that your? I try to get list? everything in the calendar. Every, yeah. Everything. Because, in the calendar. that's a, that's a radical yeah. way of, of doing it. Uh, but I like it I, uh, because you have it in one place, and and it, it becomes your boss. Uh, and probably, I would assume, then you don't have to question like what what should I do the next hour? Like the, the, the paralysis by analysis uh, is, is for me at least a problem I struggle with from time to time. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, if, I, if I'm if i sitting at my computer and I realize, hey, I don't have anything left uh, to do today, then I can I can say, hey, do I want to do something other than work for a while? Or 
do I want to use this time to try to fill up my calendar with other tasks? Uh, so that, um, and, and there's always like, just to give you some context, running free code camp, I get maybe 70, 80 emails a day from people that are learning. And I get like a whole bunch of direct messages on Twitter. Hmm. And then we've got the forum and then I've, I'm running, I think three different discord servers. So hmm. talking to people there, um, like all these different ways people can reach out to me. So the moment that I don't have anything, usually I just go back into that loop of responding to everybody. And a lot of things I do as uh, a manager are reactive in nature. So it's like pe- somebody's like, hey, I noticed that, you know, responsible disclosure, there's this security issue with your website. And like, oh, okay, we need to like verify this. And then we need to delegate this to somebody on the team so that we can handle this. And, uh, or for example, somebody reaches out to me and says like, hey, uh, I'm having trouble getting this to work. Uh, can you help me figure out why that is? And then I have to say, okay, why, why is this person having difficulty getting this to work? Is it not properly explained? So just kind of working through that big loop. And then just a whole lot of people that have general questions about uh, their careers or about learning to code, I can respond to those. So I spend a bulk of my time just reactively uh, mm. responding to things that are coming in. And so there's always the ability to just tab over to Gmail or tab over to um you know, whatever messaging tool and be able to reply to people there. And and I also remember that when you, when you I think it was when you switched over from Medium to Free Code Camp, uh, the developer news site, uh, you, you actually spoke with almost <laughs> every single, uh, or at least you had an ambition to speak with almost yeah. every single writer, which was like, I don't know, a thousand people or something like that. It was, it was insane. I'm not sure how uh, how far you got along with that, but I think you had, you kind of did something impressive uh, in, there and like um, doing something non-scalable. But uh, but um, but actually, if you if you're really efficient, it kind of a little bit scales and it keeps you really in touch with with the whole organization. Uh, so yeah, could yeah. you tell me how that went? Yeah. So I just did some math like okay if i allocate 20 minutes to each author and we've got 1600 authors and that means i can do generally i do 20 minute meetings and then i have 10 minute in between to like eat lunch or um you know use the restroom or get up and do some push-ups whatever i need to do to keep my energy level high um so i just would work through meeting after meeting and i figured out like hey you know they're probably between like 11 a.m after i've drop my kids off for school and, and done my morning routine and and 5 p.m. when I need to stop working to go pick up my daughter from school, I can probably get in like, you know, 14 meetings or 16 meetings. And then I do the math like, okay, that means that I'll de- need this number of weeks to be able to meet with every single person. And yes, I did that. It, yeah. it, in practice, I think nice. I only met with like 400 people or so. A lot of the people are like, yeah. oh, it's cool. You know, uh, just... Don't worry about it. But for yeah. everybody who wanted to gain access to their author account and be able to edit their existing articles and publish new ones and things like that, I did meet with them, yeah. So that's, a lot of times... That, that's really cool. Uh, that was just a one-time transition, though. If it, it, I'm very careful about accepting ongoing responsibilities, but yeah. if it's just a one-time transition... Like another thing is we're taking the Free Code Camp Guide, uh, which has been contributed to by thousands of contributors over the years and we're 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 kind of deprecating that guide page and we're moving the articles over to our publication uh where we can have like amp versions of the articles and it's just a much cleaner reading experience so 
doing that. And then while we're doing that, we're also kind of re-optimizing the titles for like search and, and also improving the readability and making more descriptive and things like that. So that's, that's another big chunk of work that I'm working on with a couple other people on the team. Uh, so the big projects versus ongoing responsibilities, that's, that's the big mm. distinction. You can take on projects and they can be really big and they can take months and months, but as long as you're able to balance those against ongoing responsibilities and you're not taking on so many ongoing responsibilities so as to consume most of your work week, then mm. I think it's, I think it's doable. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I might be drifting a little bit far no, away no, no, from no. like stoicism, but I figured I'd share that. But uh, it's it's uh, that doesn't matter. It's it's more of this show isn't about like the theory of stoicism. It's about how we most optimally uh, bring out the best inside of ourselves. Yeah. Um, and 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 it seems like what you do is very focused on on bringing out the best in free code camp and even if that requires you to talk to 400 people personally uh you do that and um and and, and one thing then which um we kind of touched upon then uh, is the size of free code camp uh, now which is it's grown to be uh, extremely big uh, do you have some numbers to share yeah i mean we have uh i think we're in the top 2000 websites on earth according nice. to alexa like amazon has this company that basically monitors traffic and tries to figure out what where most of the internet traffic is going yeah so i think we're about as big as TechCrunch <laughs> in terms of traffic to freecodecamp.org the website mm. and then we also have the biggest programming youtube channel mm. uh that's active it's got like 1.6 million subscribers and uh so between those and then just my weekly newsletter and the podcast, which is currently on hiatus and all of those different things, we've got a pretty big reach Yeah. in terms of people spending a lot of time. Like in 2019, people spent more than a billion minutes uh, nice. using free code camp, which it's like the equivalent of 2000 years uh, <laughs> within one year. So on average, there are about 2000 people using free code camp at any given point during the year. It, just to give you an idea of the scale. Nice. That is uh, obviously some, so the, um, that amount of traffic is obviously monetizable. Uh, the, but Free Code Camp is a nonprofit and you make a very modest amount of money from it. Uh, and that's a, uh, that's a very, I know that's a very conscious choice and was, was like that from the get go. Uh, and that is also a very stoic thing because you're optimizing for, um, for, for open source, for, for high impact, for, for people to have access to it and not optimizing for, for generating revenue. I mean, every VC, if you were a for profit would throw money after you. I'm 100% I'm sure about that. Uh, or, or you could have monetized another way. So, um, can you tell us a little bit about that? Like, uh, how is that? Uh, why, why, why did you come to that conclusion? And how has that, have you had um, yeah. uh, struggles, struggled with that at times or been frustrated about it? Or yeah, I just want, want to hear about that. Yeah, so we, we incorporated Free Code Camp as a 501c3 nonprofit. It's the same exact tax exempt status as like the Red Cross mm. or Doctors Without Borders or any of these other big non-government organizations that you've heard of. Um, and that's very important to us because we want free code camp to exist for, you know, at least until 2100, maybe beyond because the job of teaching yeah. people around the world, how to use technology. Think about how many 
hundreds of years we've been trying to get everybody to be able to read. Yeah. And this is an even bigger task than that because it's a lot harder to learn how to program than it is to learn how to read. Uh, so I think that we'll be going strong uh, mm. well after my time. And the best way to have an enduring organization uh, over a long period of time, I mean, there's so many charities that have existed for more than a hundred years, but there are mm. very few corporations that have existed that long. Uh, I mean, there is like, there are outliers like that random hotel in Japan that's been going for like 10, <laughs> you know, 1200 years or something like that. Yeah. Right. But, but I mean, if you look at like big corporations, they invariably there's their shareholders figure out a way to, yeah. you know, break them down into composite bits and, and reinvest the money elsewhere. The, the vehicle doesn't really matter that much. It's just, it's just, I put money in this side and I get more money on the other. On the other mm. side, right? Uh, but if you look at like organizations that have a mission, I think nonprofit is the obvious uh, modality for that for, mm. for the most part. Um, and uh, yeah, of course, I've made like big personal lifestyle sacrifices, but that's not a big deal for me because I'm still comfortable. I'm still middle class by American standards. And American standards, you know, like I don't think of it in terms of relations to, you know, my friends who are working as software engineers in Silicon Valley and making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. I don't think of it in terms of like a lot of the other organizations in uh, technology education where there's like an exit, they get bought by like a textbook company and suddenly they're millionaires. Uh, that's fine. That's great for them. That's what they want. I don't really want all that stuff. Like I think of my own uh prosperity in relation to that of my great grandparents who came over from Sweden uh, oh, really? to the U S more than a hundred years ago. Right. And I think about it in terms of my grandparents generation in world war two was going on. And then my parents generation, when uh, we had all these other um, kind of, it was during the cold war and the, the kind of limited prosperity they had during that period. And, and then, uh, you know, so I think about it in terms of that. And then I think about pre human prehistory, mm. people running around with babies in their arms, going from cave to cave, trying to keep warm, trying to find enough calories to survive, trying to avoid large land animals. I mean, it's just unfathomable the kinds of things we don't have to worry about today. So once you put your existence in a historic perspective, it's easy to feel grateful for things. And, uh, you realize like, Hey, I don't need to have uh, a Tesla. I don't need to have, uh, you know, a vacation house in, um, you know, in, in Northern California. I don't need any of these things. All I need is enough food and shelter for my kids and a decent school that they can attend. Uh, and you know, a used Toyota that's got 200,000 miles on it. That's what I drive right now. Like things like that. Um, that's fine. <laughs> this is fine. You don't need to uh, insatiably go out and try to acquire more money so you can acquire more stuff. That, that won't actually make you happy. What makes you happy is serenity. What makes you happy is uh, feeling grateful for the things you have uh, rather than feeling a desire for the things that you think you want. But once you have those things, you're not... I mean, I could, yeah, we, could quote, we could quote Seneca on these things or Marcus Aurelius, yeah. but... I'm going to quote Spock. <laughs> okay. 
to uh, cool. to want is so much more pleasurable than to have. It is not logical, but it is true. Hmm. Nice. So, but but um, it is. So so it's it's very true, but uh, it's hard to um, um, or, or that that we should feel grateful for where we are now, given like the history of humans and uh, how people have had it for for hundreds of years before us. But the question then uh, is, how do you actually internalize that? How how do you kind of get yourself to that uh, spot where you you or perspective? Do you have any? Uh, the, things you have done or is it, does it fall natural to you? Yeah. So I, I exercise, you know, negative visualization, mm. uh, regularly, like every day when I'm okay. holding my kids, what do you think I'm about that? Them, I imagine like, well, I, I think about, you know, my kids are this age right now. I need to enjoy this exact moment because mm. they're going to grow up. Uh, and, uh, before I know it, they're, they're going to be in their awkward teenage years and maybe it won't be cool to hang out with dad <laughs> And I will see them less, and then they're going to eventually go off and uh, create families of their own, and I'll see them less and less. Uh, and, of course, they mm. could die. Uh, I've had a lot of death in my family, uh, and I don't want that to happen to any of my kids. But it's okay because I'm already kind of inoculating myself against the pain of potentially losing them whenever I, mm. whenever I practice negative visualization. And I'm thinking about what it would be like to not have them. And that not only uh, will prepare me a little bit, because you can never really be prepared mm. for some of these things, but it will prepare me to the extent possible so that should the unthinkable happen, I will be able to hopefully make it through it. And at the same time, doing that practice uh, brings about gratitude for what I have. Mm. And it helps me focus on the moment and helps me feel grateful. So, uh, that's a very important exercise taught by the Stoics uh, that I find incredibly valuable, and I've been doing that, you know, throughout my entire life. I, I just when I was in college and I was working uh, at a newspaper, barely making any money uh, to pay for my school, and just sleeping on a on a mattress on the floor in a in a bedroom, you know, an apartment that I shared with my friend. I had no furniture. I had like a little poker table that I set up, and I put my laptop on that, and that's where I would work on my articles for the newspaper. And even then, like, I just remember feeling so grateful for what I had and, and so happy and thinking about how things could be worse. Like, it could always be worse. Like, I have a roof. You know, if I didn't have a roof, I'd be subject to the elements. Like, I have clothing to wear. If I didn't have clothing, you know, it'd be really embarrassing. <laughs> um, <laughs> things like that. It's just constantly yeah. thinking in terms of that. Really? It, 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 it's just... No matter how bad your life gets, now granted, my life has been bad. Like I've I spent a year of my life sleeping in my car when I dropped out of high school as a sophomore, wow. and and just sleeping in Walmart parking lots, and I would go to to libraries every day Damn just it. to read books and and to stay warm because there was warmth in the libraries, and uh, you know not not getting good sleep, not do. But do you think that has shaped you periods, in, in, in later in life to in in order to not. Uh, having to have as much since you've kind of experienced that part of life of sleeping in a car? Yeah, yeah, I think it's been profoundly beneficial. Uh, and mm. at the time, it was hard, but, you know, it's, I'm an able, I have my health. That's something that people, so many people take for granted. Like, if I want to get up and walk across the room, I can do that. 
If I, if, uh, you know, if I were shipwrecked on an island, I wouldn't die from a lack of like insulin or something like that, right? Like I don't no. need to take drugs to survive. Uh, there are all these great things about it. Like uh, I can see, <laughs> I can hear. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> it's, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. It, so I think so many people get so caught up in what they don't have that they forget what they do have. Mm. And um, no matter how poor I could be, I would always have, well, hopefully have certain things that I could be grateful for. And, you know, I, I meet people all the time who do have disabilities. Like there are tons of people in the free code camp community who are completely blind or completely deaf or partially blind, partially deaf, or, uh, are, uh, confined to a wheelchair or have other mobility issues or, uh, motor skill issues and things Mm. like that. And often I find that they're some of the most optimistic, grateful people. And, uh, you know, yeah. If they can be optimistic and they can be grateful, then what right do I have to be a whiner? <laughs> you know? <laughs> totally. That's a good point. Uh, so exposing yourself or being around people who are less fortunate than you also gives uh, appreciation to, or like you realize I, this is not something I can take for granted. My sight or my uh, the fact that I can hear and, and walk. Yeah, and freedom. Yeah. Freedom. We, we live in one of, the, you know, like the United States still free. Like yeah. people, as many things that have gone wrong <laughs> in the past <laughs> few years, <laughs> we still are fundamentally, yeah. you know, a place where there's freedom and, uh, and freedom from, we don't have any big wars going on in my backyard. No. You know, I talk to people who are living in <clears throat> war zones and it just makes you so grateful. So mm. anyway, it, I think about these things all the time and, no matter how bad a day I'm having, you know, like I, I, I was doing some deadlifts the other day and I like, you know, something went wrong with my back. And so I've been like, kind of like lurching around all day for like the past week and, oh, that hurts, but it's not that big of a deal in the big scheme of things. So yeah, no. just gratitude. Gratitude is the ultimate so medicine a, yeah, for a, any ailment. Totally true. Uh, and uh, I just want to rewind a little bit back to um, uh, starting Free Code Camp. And you, know, you talked about you've lived in a car, so you've experienced a lot of difficult financial situations. And I think also, as, uh, if I can remember correctly, when you started Free Code Camp, it was a long period where you didn't make money and where you lived off of savings and where you really uh, spent every dollar as efficiently as possible. And uh, isn't that correct? Or Yeah, yeah. I would, just, uh, I would eat microwave burritos and I would... I mean, so the thing is, I've always been very frugal. Mm. Um, and basically, throughout my entire adult life, when I was working you know, at Taco Bell, I'd save all my money. And then when I finished college and I was working as a teacher and a school director for about 10 years, I'd try to save about half of everything I earned. I'd live in like yeah. a small, inexpensive apartment in the suburbs and uh, you know, take public transport to work and things like that. Just anything I could do. To save money, I just eat a protein bar for lunch instead of going out to lunch and things like that. Mm. And that was able because I was able to save a lot of money. I had money to be able to invest into free code camp in the sense that, like, I could. I mean, it was a nonprofit. I don't own any stock in free code camp or anything like that. But I took about one hundred fifty thousand dollars of my own money uh, over the years and used that to pay for servers and to, mm. to help pay for people to be able to help me things like that. So, but during that period, you know, any dollar I could save 
<laughs> you know, making rice and eating that instead of going out to dinner and things like that. That was like a dollar that I could put toward free go camp. So, yeah. I, that that is that is impressive because it, it, I I totally understand when people do that uh, with and I put my own savings into my own startups uh, and and lived very uh, cheaply myself, but doing that and and going through the struggle and starting a nonprofit that eventually won't make you <laughs> financially uh, independent, for example, in the future, uh, or like. That I find that so fascinating that that you have still had the motivation to kind of struggle for yourself, but but put this out in the world uh, and and build free cold camp. Is, is was was there any? Uh, yeah, do you, did you find that as a struggle or or, or was it natural to you? I mean, I love what I'm doing. Yeah, uh, I, I want to help people learn to code. Like my whole worldview hinges on us getting humanity to a post-scarcity uh, state where we don't have rampant hunger, where we don't have war. I think that it's possible that we can get there, but it's it's only possible if we take the prosperity we have and distribute it. Mm. Uh, you know, information wants to be free, but it yeah. also wants to be expensive. That's the Stuart Brand, um, the, the famous speech by him. Uh, the author of the, what is it called? Um, Whole Earth Catalog. So mm. education similarly wants to be free, but it also wants to be very expensive. And we see that here in the US. Yeah. We see that education can be free. <laughs> it can be yeah. MIT open courseware. It can be, you know, Khan Academy videos. It can be free code camp, interactive curriculum. It can be all these things that are completely free and often completely ad free too. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you see university systems that where like the inflation and the cost to attend a university, yeah. it's dramatic. <laughs> like when I went to school in the late 1990s, early 2000s, that's when I went to university. Uh, I dropped out of high school, but after a year living in my car, I was able to pass the GED, which is like the high school equivalency. And then I was able to go to it the most inexpensive state school in one of the cheapest states in the United States, right? But I was able to do that. Um, mm. I wouldn't be able to do that now. I would definitely have to take student debt. I wouldn't mm. be able to uh, just work at Taco Bell and work at a newspaper and be able to sock away enough money to to pay for my tuition. My, my tuition was only like a thousand bucks a year. And mm. I tell that to people and they're just, they, they immediately like, you lucky bastard. <laughs> like, how did you, how did you go to school for, you know, a thousand dollars a semester or, or the equivalent of like, three or four thousand dollars a year in tuition and it was mm. because i was just that's how much it used to cost my yeah. grandparents went to school just based on like part-time working at the bowling alley or something and they made enough money to pay for tuition why is yeah. education exploding in cost education it's wants insane. to be free it also wants to be extremely expensive right so mm. yeah so for me like i'm hoping that free code camp could be this countervailing force that could drive down the price of education that it'll be hard yeah. for universities. It'll be hard for, uh, you know, paid, uh, vocational training programs, graduate schools, like all these things. It'll, how are they going to justify charging this obscene amount of money when mm. they can get a very good experience for free, just using free online resources like yeah. code camp. Well, so I'm hoping that we can apply downward pressure and get those prices back into sane territory. And ultimately that all of humanity can benefit from just, 
price competition, if you will. Yeah, yeah. The ultimate totally. formal price competition, free, think, right? So if we do that, then everybody learns a whole lot more. Everybody's more qualified to go out and work ever, ever increasingly complicated jobs uh, that require more and more thinking, more and more creativity, as mm. opposed to more and more doing rote things over and over, essentially being a human robot, like a lot of our current economy can yeah. be described. Uh, and I used to be a human robot to an extent as a school administrator, yeah. uh, filling out forms and doing all that stuff okay. before uh, I learned how to automate it. So yes, my entire worldview hinges on us getting past this bottleneck where mm. education became extremely expensive for some reason. Uh, and where even though we've got the internet, it you know we still have plenty of people around the world who don't seem to have good access to the internet and aren't able to use all these free learning resources to a point where pretty much everybody is well-educated. And mm. we can get to that. It'll take a few generations, but imagine there are no people who haven't, like the equivalent of dropped out of high school and didn't go back to school or something like that. Like mm. where everybody can read, everybody can use computers properly, everybody knows uh, at least English, uh, which mm. is a really useful language to know. I'm biased because I grew up speaking English, but I think I would encourage everybody to get really good at English. Yeah. Um, so where, where people have all these skills, then... <laughs> It'll be much easier for us to become a spacefaring civilization. Yeah. It'll be much easier for us to uh, not to to figure out ways that we don't have people starving, to figure out ways that we can address climate change, which you know we still should take every counteraction we can. But the reality is, at this point, we are going to have to come up with some solutions to return back to the yeah. climate we used to have, unfortunately. So, so all these things. I think education is the keystone. Like if we get that education in there, then we can build up a beautiful arch. Totally. It's a, uh, yes, I, I, I totally agree with you. And I, I see that uh, free code camp is on its way to really shifting and really uh, affecting uh, people all around, all around the world to, to, to be able to do this and, and get the education for free and build their lives and get like i mean be, be more productive to the world themselves it's kind of like the ultimate enabler to, to teach people how to code so uh that's um yeah totally into uh t totally agree with you on that one um yeah we're, we're, we're getting we're getting close to the to the end there we've been talking for almost an hour um and but but before we round off i, I wanna i wanna ask you like something i ask uh, all my guests which is like Hey, daddy's working. I'll be there in a minute. It, it's the um, di dichotomy of control. Uh, the, the concept of, of you should basically uh, divide everything into two buckets. What is in your full control, like your thoughts and actions and goals and so forth. And then what's not in your control, which is everything else. And then you should focus all your attention on uh, controlling what's in your control and ignoring or be uh, indifferent to what's outside of your control. But I, this is hard. It's really, really hard. I find it really hard, at least. And I have a lot of things where I struggle, or a lot of uh, areas where I struggle to to actually um, accept that things are outside of my control. And I wonder, do you have any areas, specific areas, where you kind of struggle to to let loose and, and let go of the control or the perceived control yeah. that is? Absolutely. I mean, just being an American in 2020, you've got climate change that is going to affect generations. Mm. I mean, it could take hundreds of years to undo what we're doing right here, like my generation, uh, yeah. the people who are like 30 somethings right now, we're, we're doing this damage. And 
I mean, I could just abandon free code camp and I could go and, uh, you know, follow Greta Thunberg and just do all these things to try to raise awareness of that. But at some point I have to acknowledge, like I have limits. There's only so much that I can do. Mm. Uh, and free code camp is something I can actually do. I can actually start to make a dent in the education problem. Yes. Even though, uh, and just trust that other people will go out there and try to work on some of these other things. So that, that's a very tangible thing. Like, uh, I just can't, like, I can't control all the, I can't fix all the bad things in the world. I have to, to let go and accept that other people are going to be able to go out there and specialize in those things. Um, regarding free co camp, there's only so much I can do to raise awareness of free code camp, to get people to go to free code camp, to get to be able to stick with it. Uh, a lot of it is that I just have to accept that, for example, a lot of people are going to find that it's too difficult <laughs> and that it's yeah. going to take time for us to tweak toward getting that. But I don't, I try not to look at uh, statistics that are out of my control. For example, like our Alexa mm. rank, uh, yeah. I try not to focus too much on that because they're just seasonal changes. We want Free Code Camp to be a significant portion of all the world's internet activity. Like we want a significant portion of that to be people learning. We're competing with Netflix. We're competing yeah. with you know League of Legends and and uh, uh, Fortnite and games like that that people just sink a whole lot of time into when they could be learning. And I have to just accept that people are going to learn when they feel like learning. And mm. uh, you can. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make that horse drink, as they say. Yeah. So totally. um, that's something where I have to just accept. Uh, and also, I talk to people all the time who are like, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to graduate school, and, and I'm going to do this and this and this. And, and I think maybe that's suboptimal, but if I'm the person who's telling them, like, oh, you shouldn't do this, you should do this, this, and this, it's not going to work. And mm. it, most likely, it will just get them to double down on their idea. Like, well, well screw you, Quincy. Uh, this is what I want to do. Like, how dare yeah. you try to tell me otherwise, right? So to some extent, if people aren't asking for help, don't try to help them. That's yeah. one thing I've learned. Um, so things that are within my control, though, are what I sit down and work on every day. So a good goal might be I'm going to uh, launch the AWS Certified Challenge this year. Yeah. right? And I'm going to get a whole bunch of people... Uh, trying to earn these AWS certifications and I'm going to get a Twitter bot up that's like retweeting them and mm. and retweeting the hashtag AWS certified challenge or the Project Euler 100 challenge. Yeah. So I launched two challenges just in the past month, just advanced programming challenges because I was so inspired by the 100 days of code challenge. Uh, mm. So they're modeled heavily after that. So trying to like, uh, okay, I'm going to write about this. Okay, I'm going to go on Twitter and I'm actively going to respond to people and encourage them. Or I'm, I'm going to actively try to identify somebody who can be a moderator in one of these communities mm. so that I can scale my efforts. Like those are things that I can personally do because every task uh, that's worth doing is usually very large and complicated and it has to be broken down. And there's, there's fear. There's fear that you won't be able to do it or uh, you can be intimidated by the sheer scope and scale of the challenge. But you have a body you have hands uh, that can reach forward and tap on a keyboard. And uh, you have a brain that can think about how to approach these problems. Uh, you are just one person, but you can do what you can do. 
to try to try to attack those problems, try to advance that goal. So even even in my case, where I'm fortunate enough to have built up a team and fortunate enough to build up a community of volunteers who can help, I have to think about how to uh, encourage those people to do things and, and what needs to be done and all that. So ultimately, a lot of things can be blamed on me <laughs> if things don't work. So, so I've spent a lot of time blaming myself and, and being introspective. Like uh, I, that was, you know, I could have done a better job inspiring that person during that call, or I could have done a better job giving that person direction so that they wouldn't hang up the phone and be like, okay, well, I'm not sure exactly what to do next. Right. So those kinds of things. So the, the way to think of it is like everybody is an individual person with, you know, essentially a single stream of consciousness a single thread going right and they can only think about one thing at a time and how are they going to direct that time how are they going to direct that energy you can be at a top of a large organization you know a small organization like free code camp or even like a much larger organization like you think about like jeff bezos uh with amazon and regardless how how you may think of amazon i think we we can all admire the fact that he has accomplishes a great deal (laughs) and he's been extremely productive toward whatever his ends are. Um, and one of the things that he talks about doing is like, he is always working on things that won't even see the light of day until five years from now, because he's figured out a way to delegate a whole lot of the day to day tasks so he can, and, and also to bring himself up several layers of abstraction higher to where he's Hmm. communicating almost like a general on a battlefield to lieutenants and, Things like that. So those are all things that he he's able to exercise more control. Uh, and, and me, similarly, I'd like to be able to exercise more control toward um, over things. And But at the end of the day, there are limits. Yeah. Uh, and the more abstract, the more far removed you get from using your own physical hands to reach out and grab something, the more likely that... Uh, the control is an illusion or that it will break down in some area. So totally. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's a very long answer. No, it's good. But... <laughs> it's good. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna take, take the advice to heart and, and myself spend less time like looking at, for example, statistics for how, uh, the traffic is, uh, for the website, which I do for my, uh, for, 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 uh, our product. Uh, and more time on like, what can I do actually? What do I want to do this year? Not not we're going to have this amount of traffic, but we're going to re- launch this course. We're going to do that. And we're going to try and build that feature and like things which are actually much more in my control. Uh, so, so I think that's a great advice. Uh, and yeah, this has been awesome. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. And uh, thank you for talking with Stoicism about me. Uh, totally. Uh, Thank you for talking with me about stoicism. It, totally, it's been a, it's been it's been, my, it's been a pleasure. So um, and and I think it's been uh, helpful for or hopefully for people who have been listening as well, um, because there's a ton of things uh, we have gone through, and and hopefully people will be able to pick up some tips and and apply it themselves. Um, and I, I'm assuming actually a, a lot of people who listen will already know who you are, but you just want to say, where can they follow you to, to find out more and, and follow your progress further? Sure. If you just Google Quincy Larson, you'll, you'll pull up a lot of stuff. Uh, I think I'm the only Quincy Larson other than a woman in Shanghai. <laughs> okay. uh, interestingly, I was in Shanghai around the same time that she was. 
But really? she's the only other Quincy Larson I know of. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. You should meet, take a, take a photo with two Quincy yeah, Larson. Yeah, maybe we will at some point. The, <laughs> the Quincy Larson party. <laughs> awesome. Okay. Thank you very much. Cheers.